How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sandscast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jancy. Tim, how's it going, sir? It's been good, been good. Busy this week, but uh, it's been interesting. Yeah, just more wedding planning stuff? Uh, well, it's the beginning of Lent, so uh, a lot more mass, a lot a lot more other commitments as well. So I've just been kind of busy with that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, Ash Wednesday mass, uh, the right of election, all that, all that good stuff. Okay. Okay. Cause I understand. I recently saw a post that you are going pescatarian or something for Lent. Oh yeah. So uh, I'm, I've given up meat. Okay. I've kind of always figured that's what pescatarian was. Like I wasn't too sure myself. I knew that. They couldn't eat meat minus fish on Friday, but yeah. other than that, I didn't know if there was any other big differences that they had. Yeah, that's effectively what. Yeah, that's what we're doing. Yeah, so uh, we've had we've actually made some some pretty good food too. Like uh, I was surprised how good the vegetarian chili was, and we're gonna try. I'm gonna be doing like a tofu fried rice tomorrow. That's gonna be working with like a sorry like a yaki yaki soba type sauce. So that's gonna be good. You see, it's funny, like, I don't think of myself as being a food snob or being picky or anything, but I just can't eat tofu. I've tried. I've tried it, and I don't like it. It's too spongy. There's just, I don't know. Even, like, a firm tofu? Nah. Okay, yeah. No, that's fair. Like, I'm not a big fan of tofu. I Like, it's like, I'll eat it. The one thing I found is, like, impossible meat is, like, I am not paying $10 for fucking pea protein sorry for a pound of pea protein screw that if i'm having vegan like vegetarian protein i'm just gonna have the goddamn tofu yeah like or you can go beans oh oh yeah beans for sure or or nuts mm. yeah, because, that's good. yeah we had uh we were doing pesto pasta for the past few days okay how's that been going you don't get a lot in a jar of pesto eh those things are t- like even like the tub ones that they sell that's like tiny yeah it's like maybe it's good for maybe a, a family of four yeah so for you guys you might get what two servings of, yeah, yeah two days two worth because yeah. like, it's just you and chelsea so but then it's also like and then you actually look at how much it, what is in the pesto it's like oh shit this whole jar this like 200 gram jar is like 1300 calories yeah if you eat shit the whole is thing dense yeah no but it's like at first i'm like oh there's nothing in this and i'm like oh there's a lot in this and then i eat it i'm like this is heavy maybe i could have gotten three days out of this little jar i mean you could have you could have if you really stretched it out but you know what it's a trial and error sort of thing right yeah like i don't often work with pesto so yeah have you tried given that you've given up beef have you tried like a black bean burger yet not yet could be interesting to make like some of the other things that we're probably i'm gonna see if i can work on is like maybe a veg like maybe vegetarian pad thai could be interesting uh tom tom kum yum soup could be good yep like the the beefless chili was actually really good yeah i found that too like i've had vegetarian chili in the past i find for me it just depends what kind of like the spices and the beans and mm-hmm. whatever you put in it, right? I mean, you could put a lot into it and still make it taste good. 
Oh yeah, I use a six bean mix, so. Two cans of that, some diced tomatoes, a good mix of spice, a bay leaf. Can't go wrong with that, man. You no, can't go wrong. No, you can't. You know what you also can't go wrong with? Let's talk about today's cover athlete. For today's episode, season six, episode 19, in chronological order, episode 143, the Peter Regan edition of the Third Line Plug, Sensecast. So just a little background about Peter Regan. He was drafted 87th overall by the Ottawa Senators in 2004. He played parts of five seasons with the Senators, recording 19 goals, 36 assists for 55 points in 178 games. And also, fun fact, he is still an active player in Germany. Oh, nice. So, like, the thing I always, well, that we were always reminded of when Peter Regan played was that he was one of the first, and I think probably the first Danish Ottawa center at a time when Danish players were still quite rare in the league. But even now, like Danish players are still a rarity in the league, right? Yeah. Well, it's like, I think we always underestimate just how small Denmark is as a country. Like, I mean, not geographically, but yeah, like the, the population of Denmark is probably not even 10 million. Uh, let me check that GDP population. Yeah, there's 5 million Danes. Yeah, and a lot of them, if they are athletes, they're playing other sports. They're playing tennis. They're playing soccer. They're playing... Although I would imagine if you've ever seen bandy, which is kind of like field hockey on ice. Yeah. Very big in Europe. Mm-hmm. No, it's cool. But yeah, like Denmark is... It's very... It's smaller than Toronto. Sorry, its population is smaller than Toronto, right? So it's not surprising there's not a lot of elite, like elite athletes of Danish origin in North America, especially when you compare it to Sweden, which yeah. is just a much bigger country. Well, ho- well, hockey is also a bigger sport in Sweden too, right? It, oh, for sure. I think of it in the way that you look at how Slovakia was not exactly the biggest country in the world, and yet they they were producing players for a while there. That's fair. That's fair. So maybe but Denmark might be one of those next is, countries, right? Maybe five million is that is small still. But uh, <laughs> yeah, other, yeah. Look, look at Germany. Germany didn't really have any players coming at it. And then you see Dreisaitl, Mortisider, mm-hmm. Tim Stutzla. I mean, Olaf Kolzig. I know he's from South Africa, but he has a German passport. So yeah, no, for sure. And then like France, the same way. No, but it, it was always like Peter Riga was definitely. Here's the thing that I forgot about with Peter Regan. He played five seasons with the Seds, and for some reason, he gets slotted into the same section of my brain as, like, Norman Wick. Sorry, Roman Wick, who was there for, like, two. You know what section of my brain he really goes into is definitely, I remember him from the EA games, not as a player. Which is weird, because I do actually kind of remember Peter Regan as a player. I remember he was a, he had some speed to him, he had a little bit of talent, he just... He just wasn't the best player in the world. Yeah. Although, to be fair, like, like his first full, well, his longest season with the Ottawa Senators, 75 games, he looked promising, 30 points, not bad, and uh, four playoff points in six playoff games. I think it might have been the Colin Greening situation a bit there. Like, it looked like there was something more there, but there just really wasn't. And then injuries did the rest. Yeah, I mean, which kind of sucks. I mean, there are a number of players that you could really look through history, not only with the Sens, but you could look through hockey history where 
team slot, there was more there, but it was just injuries or they just didn't develop. Yeah. But like, what's interesting, he actually had a pretty good KHL career, all things considered, being almost a point of game player. Just weird stuff. Well, it's really cool to see that even if players, they don't take in the NHL, at least they can go in the KHL and they've proven that it's a top league over there. Yep. Which I think people here in North America, because we don't follow the KHL super closely, when we see a guy over there who just dominates, it's like, holy... It's kind of like when the first wave of Russian players came over in the late 80s or 90s. It was just because you didn't know. Sure, nowadays you might have YouTube, you might be able to watch the clips, but there was still that mystery of like, oh, what could what could they do if they came over? You know what's actually an interesting Peter Regan story is he was involved in the trade that got Igor Shesterkin to the New York Rangers. Really? Yeah, so Peter Regan was traded from the Islanders to the Blackhawks with another player for the fourth pick in the 2014 draft, which would be used for Shesterkin. And then that draft was, that pick was then traded from the Islanders to the Capitals for Halak. And then that pick was traded from the Capitals to the Rangers. And used to pick Shesterkin. I was going to say, could you imagine if the Islanders had held on to that pick, if they had, Rokin and Chesterkin in their system. That would be dumb. I mean, it's not a bad bad problem to have, right? No, I guess that was I didn't fully realize just how much time Chesterkin spent in the K. Like, he played five years there. Sorry, six years there. Five after his draft. Yeah, but it goes back to what you always said about goalies, right? Is that it's a voodoo thing. Goalies don't seem to develop until they're late 20 mid to late 20s oh i just meant i thought chesterkin was younger than he was <laughs> oh really oh okay i thought it was that you were just like oh wow i didn't realize that he had been over there so long no it's i thought he was like 20 23 24 25 not 27 oh, okay. 28 okay i misunderstood the yeah year. no but yeah no cool peter regan fact you know, as much as we can give cool Peter Regan facts here talking about him, Tim, it would only delete inevitable that we need to talk about next week's cover athlete poll for season six, episode 20, in chronological order, episode 144. Now, with these cover athlete polls, Tim, I know how much you enjoy it when I put them together and they represent different areas of the Ottawa Senators. This one for sure definitely represents three eras of the Ottawa Senators. Patrick Eves. Mike Commodore, Jean-Gabriel Pajot, and Eric Goodbranson. Man, that 07-08 season was a trip. Mm-hmm. And uh, two of the, like, just, just wild stuff. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it's funny because I remember just how hyped that 07-08 team really was. And how dominant we looked right out of the gate. And then we sp- Buttered. Yeah. Riding the bus was fun. <laughs> it was, man. It was. So, Tim, I'm going to move away from talking about our cover athletes and cover athlete polls and ask the question that I always ask every week because our listeners love knowing. 
how has your week been going? I understand that you probably talked a little bit about the intro, but I think we know overall, how was your week? Honestly, yeah, I think I pretty much covered it in the intro. Uh, Lent's begun, so uh, giving up meat, uh, doing the fast every Friday, that sort of stuff. So, uh, no, like, that's been, it's been good. Obviously, it sucked. Like, the point for Lent is to suck, right? Oh, my God. Like, you just mentioned about fasting. I don't think I could do that. I think my my body, I've heard that, now, correct me if I'm wrong here, because I've heard that it, the first couple of days are hell. Uh, for Lent? No, so it's not. A, oh, sorry. It's not a true fast. So oh, you fast okay. every Friday, but the fast is you uh, you basically have one full meal and two like little meals that should be no more than one full meal. So you're basically cutting out a meal and any other snacks and stuff you have. So I go down from what I usually eat. So I usually eat about 2,000 calories. So I was pro- on fast days, I was... U- I was down to about 700. Okay. So again, not a lot, not my, not even my daily expenditure, but yeah. So it's not that it's not like a full on, I am Gandhi. Yeah. But uh, no, like it is definitely hard. And like the first week of Lent, you have two, you basically have two fast days that are not back to back, but two fast days in three days because you're, you fast on Ash Wednesday. Thursday is a normal day, fast on the first Friday. So it's like, oh, okay. So like, if you're not, like, I wasn't used to that. And like, the first Wednesday, it's like, it's also coming off the heels of Shrove Tuesday, where Shrove Tuesday, Mardi Gras, where you eat a whole bunch of shit beforehand. So the Ash Wednesday fast isn't that big of a deal. The yeah, Friday one was all like, those calories, could I get oh, yeah. Burn off. Because uh, like Chelsea and I did dance practice, then we played laser tag, and then we went went out for hot hot, and then we got a gel like a jelly filled donuts at Tim Hortons after. So uh, there was a lot in Tim. See, I'm really surprised that you would go to Tim Hortons for donuts. I figured that you and Chelsea would have your like say a signature place in Calgary. You would like. Oh, they were all closed by the time that we had time to go. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, like we could go down to Jelly, but like even when we we're coming down at like for dance practice at like 4.30, it was already closed. And the roads were absolute ass. Yeah, because that's something that you didn't talk about right off the, uh, right off the hop, is that how is how are you guys doing in Calgary with all the weather right now, man? So last week it was cold and a lot of, like it was negative 40 and it basically snowed nonstop for five days. So uh, we probably shovel about 10 to 13 times. And uh, one of the days, like, it was when we were driving down, we were driving downtown, and uh, this is the first time I've ever had a car get stuck. Because, like, we parallel parked, went, and then snow had accumulated under the tires. Yeah, I know about that. I know all about that, man. Yeah, so uh, we were giving someone a ride, and, like, it wasn't coming out. Sorry, the car wasn't coming out of the spot, so I had to get out and push. But luckily, it wasn't that stuck. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'd done an all right enough job parallel parking that it was an easy out. So I just had to kind of really lean on the trunk to get her moving. Yeah, sometimes that's all you need, right? You just need that extra weight in the back to help. Oh, yeah. But it's just this funny, you've got the mental image of like Tim all bundled up, just like, but I'm not even that heavy, just like leaning on this thing. Yeah. And Chelsea's like, push harder. <laughs> 
Oh, that's the worst. Is it like, push harder? I physically can't. <laughs> Pretty much. So I do got to mention one thing here because you were talking about fasting and everything you're doing for Lent. One of the guys I work with, he and I were talking about something last week. He made a comment. He feels like, you know how you always hear about breakfast is the most important meal of the day? Yeah. He feels that if you eat a big breakfast, it would could pretty much hold you over for the rest of the day. For something like Lent or what you're doing, could that work if you're only needing the one meal a day? Yeah, probably. Um, but I think my preference is a light breakfast and a bigger dinner so I can sleep easier. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I'm kind of the same way. Even for me, like I don't eat breakfast. I have like a nice coffee that I make at Katrina's. I have my Cliff Bar. I go to work. I might have some grapes or have a snack at 10 o'clock. Eat lunch at one. And that's it. Yeah, well, my problem is like I just my eating style is terrible. So like I'll eat like a, a bowl of cereal at like 9 a.m. Then I'll have a granola bar at like 9 30, 10, then some crackers at eleven, then an apple wet dude. Like I'll just be constantly like eating a little bit throughout the day. You're great. And then have a dinner. Yeah, you're grazing throughout the day. Yeah. Do you find so that, that because you work sorry, do, do you find that because you work from home that it's you you tend to snack more, or is it just No, that's how I've always been. You've always been like that? Like uh school was always tough. Because I'd want to eat like that, but then I just couldn't. So, uh, yeah, like, even when I was, like, I was working in the office, I'd just bring, like, a bunch of snacks, and then I'd be, like, eating a bit, a little bit every day, throughout the day. I've always just been a grazer, but that's also been kind of what's made the Lent fasting a little easier, if that makes sense. Because it's like, okay, I just cut out all of, all of those graze points, I just cut them out. And then it's easier to hold to it. Yeah. You, would you find that if you eat a bigger meal, that it really helps out, though? Uh, you, well, yes and no. But, like, part of the point of it is to feel hungry. See, I think because... I, I would see. I think I think I think I would get way too cranky. I think that's my thing. If I'm, like, hungry, you know, hangry is a thing. Oh, it is. Yeah. It totally is a thing. And I'm I'm so bad for that if I'm hungry. There's three things that I'm grumpy for. If I'm tired, if I'm hungry, or I'm just annoyed. Yeah, fair. Um, But yeah, like the whole point of Lent, though, is like you're supposed like it's self-denial. Using kind of that space that you've opened up through self-denial to kind of self-reflect, reflect through the Lord and then give alms. So it's like the suffering's kind of the point. So if you're doing things to kind of mitigate the suffering, Outside of like not dying, and then you're doing it wrong. I was gonna say, I think that if you end up dying, you're yeah, like keep yourself alive. But I just love how that's the point right there. Is like, you know, yes, we're fasting. If but if you die, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, yeah. If you're done, if like if you're like if you're making yourself more ill than just like a low blood sugar. Okay, like if you're diabetic, obviously you have to maintain that. Like if, if you've got chronic health issues, you're like your fast is going to be different, or you just say, might not have to, right? Yeah, because I was going to say because I've never like I've never done the pescatarian stuff like that <clears throat> through Lent and all that stuff. Do they make exceptions if you have those health issues yes. like you're mentioning? Yep. Okay. 
like you still should be giving things up. You should still be making that space for God sort of thing. You should be still giving alms. I gotta say, man, I've been learning quite a bit of pescatarian here, man. Because... Oh, that's not pescatarianism. That's Lent. Pescatarianism is just the you're not eating meat, but you're still eating fish. Right, right, right. Okay, yeah. So I'm learning quite a bit about Lent because, again, even though you and I went to a Catholic school, I'm not religious. My family's not religious. So I never went through that myself. So it's quite good to hear from from your point of view. Now, if you don't mind, Tim, I just want to yeah, go talk it. a little bit about something here this past week because not a whole lot on my end was really going on, just the usual. We also got a snowstorm this week, and it was actually snowing pretty hard today, actually, at work. I looked out the window, and I was like, oh, that's not good. Obviously, yeah, I we saw not... some of the photos. Yeah, not going through what you guys are going through, but... Did you see snow stuck in California? Like, in Los Angeles? No. Yeah, some of my friends from San Bernardino and, uh, like, the the whole valley there were sending photo showing me photos of, like, yeah, the snow was sticking on the roads in LA. That's fucked up, man. Yeah. They're like, this has never happened. I should actually talk to my sister. She lives in the Bay Area, but Yeah, that that's fucked. <laughs> I would have laughed so hard if that would have been her right then and there. I'd be like, hey man, I what's going on in California. <laughs> no, no, that'd I be great. About... Sorry, I do want to talk about one thing though, because I was watching something on Crave this past week. And so HBO Sports, they did a three-part series on Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah. And and you know me. If you listen to the podcast, you know how I felt about The Last Dance when that first came out and my thoughts on it since it's kind of last three years ago. HBO Sports has actually done some pretty good sports documentaries in the past. I have seen a couple of them. I can't picture them right now, but I can definitely think of Like HBO, obviously ESPN always does a great ones, But honestly... The Shaquille O'Neal one, like, I always, like, Sha- Shaq is definitely one of those guys that we all knew of. And I feel, oh, like yeah. I, I feel like I did him a disservice when Kobe passed away three years ago, when when you and I were talking about players that transcended the game, and I didn't put Shaq in that category. Because watching the documentary, Shaq really did change the game, not on the not only on the court, but off the court, too, with a lot of, like, the branding and it, definitely with the branding. Oh, we are talking about the printers. We are talking, and the general. Right. Yeah. Nicey hot. But the funny thing is, Shaq actually uses all of these products. He's said, even in the in the documentary, he says, yeah, I won't promote it if I don't use it. He says, I drink Pepsi. I wear Reebok. I use those printers. I do these things. I use them. If I don't believe in it, I won't support it. But it was really cool to get his point of view when talking about, talking about, how he was one of the first athletes, not not to say Michael Jordan wasn't doing it with Nike and what he was doing with all of his stuff, but Shaq was talking about how he really was one of the first big name, like big athletes at the time that was setting up companies and really putting himself in a financial situation after he retired where yeah, he wouldn't go broke and he constantly was making money. You yeah. gotta admit, like that's... You you don't think of that, right? Because you think of LeBron James has a movie company. You think that Steph Curry is doing stuff. These NBA players are very smart now. Like, they're doing companies and stuff like that. But Shaq was the first guy to do that. And it's funny because, like, I remember when he first started doing it, everyone just thought it was kind of goofy. Yeah. Like, with, like, Shaz- 
was it Shazam was what it was called yeah Shazam like, was a movie Shazam Shaq Fu a lot of them were kind of clumsy or even like His whatever rapper. he'd do stuff like the rapper or him with Ben Stein but no you could definitely you could see like Shaq was like you could definitely see he was like trying to get his finger in every pot, right? Yeah. <clears throat> the one thing that I really surprised that they didn't delve super deep into that Shaq started. Now, when talking about Michael Jordan, everybody knows about the Air Jordan Nike shoes and, and those kind of stuff. Shaq had a similar deal with Reebok back in the day. And, and he said that there was his mother that came up to him after a game and complained at him. He goes, you know, you're ripping these kids off, selling $200 shoes and whatever. And he, he just gave her the money. But here, I'm really sorry. And she threw the money. He goes, I don't want your money, but I think it's ridiculous that you reblocking these companies. You're ripping kids off for big shoes like this. And he thought about it. And he says, you know what? You're right. So he went to Reebok. He says, listen, I'm not going to take any money from you. I'll continue wearing the shoes, but I'm going to do my own thing. He mm-hmm. went to Walmart and says, I want to create a shoe that's affordable so now if you go to walmart you can find shaquille and neil basketball shoes and the guys sold i think a hundred million pairs of those shoes oh wow and it looks like the shack attacks are back on the reebok site although at 150 bucks that's sadly not a bad price for a pair of basketball shoes in 2023 well the air jordans are still going for like 200 bucks a pop yeah like man i could just sit here and mo- but no that's actually really awesome that he's like you know what yeah i'm not gonna rip these kids off you know <clears throat> absolutely and he was definitely i think that's really really cool but i really like the fact that he really talked about his relationships with penny hardaway when he was in orlando or kobe Dwayne and Wade, like all of the big personalities they had on those teams and the fighting that he had within those teams. And he doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't pull any bullshit when it comes to the stuff that he got into or the feuds he had with these players. But you can tell, I think it was in the last episode when they were talking about the death of Kobe and the death of his sister, because it happened back to back. And you could tell watching that just how much that affected him. And I know we even talked about that when Kobe passed away, like when was the last time you saw a big name athlete like this that went out like this? Yeah. Like I can't really even think of it, but it was also just kind of seeing like, even when those guys kind of had their feuds at the end of the day, it it does seem like they still legitimately cared for each other. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, no, that does sound like HBO sports has a very good catalog for these sort of things. And it did give us such wonderful lines as, and I took it personally, except that's not an actual line. No, he took it personally. No, that was uh, ESPN. Oh, that was ESPN. Yeah, but HBO does pretty good ones anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, for, for fuck's sakes, I mean, they had, they were showing boxing for so many years and they got into sports for a while. It wasn't like just out of the blue. They're like, oh yeah, we'll do sports now. Right. It's just, you don't, you always when you think hbo you think movies and uh like high production value tv you know it is true yeah because like when i think of hbo i think of shows like the sopranos and entourage definitely nowadays with game of thrones being as big as now funny enough remember how last week we're talking about like lord of the rings and 
stuff that I never really got into or watched. Never watched an episode of Game of Thrones. Same. And you would think my old boss, who, funny enough, I actually ran into this past week as well, how he described it to me when the show first came out. He says, it's like a mixture of Lord of the Rings and Pornhub. Those yeah. were the exact words he used. It was always so weird, like, like uh, listening to like a lot of my, like a lot of friends, a lot of people I knew in university at the time or even worked with the bank and or watching it every so often, it would be talking and be like, oh yeah, and then this happened. I'm like, what are you watching? But like the show had, like the show had like these different levels of, like all the levels of intrigue and the action sequences were apparently quite well put together. So like there definitely is the artistic merit, but then every so often it would be like, yeah, who they did what now? But it's HBO, so it's not porn. Yeah, it's tasteful. Yeah, well, not even that sometimes. Because I know, like Chelsea watched the season, she was like, "Yeah, it got pretty graphic." Yeah, that that's a show that. Oh, that's another show. We're talking Lord of the Rings. Game of Thrones is another one of those shows where you'll have a debate whether the books are better than the show. Well, I mean that. De- Apparently, the final season settled that debate. Oh, God, I've heard the final season sucks. Yeah. But then again, it's like... I'm not skin in the game. But I don't think that's a very fair comparison because the show actually ran out of book to work with. So the the show had to go for what anime fans call the anime-only ending. And that ending is always fucking terrible. I really can't think of a time where a show's ending was better than like where a show had to write its own ending instead of taking what the eventual ending for the light novel or the manga was. I cannot think of a single show where that went well. HBO has even been bad for that too. Not only with Game of Thrones, but Entourage. The final season of Entourage was terrible. And that's a funny thing. When the movie came out year, like years later, they basically ignored the final season of Entourage. <laughs> the one plot point they had from the original, from like the last season was, it, it's not a spoiler, fucking show ended like over a decade ago. Vincent Chase, the main character, got married. Yeah, he's divorced. Right. Like, it was just <laughs> like, just throw. Yeah, it's just like, he got married, then they got divorced, and that's onto the movie. <laughs> Amazing. Which surprisingly, I actually haven't seen the movie in a while. To be, you know, actually, I like Entourage, but even I go back and watch it. It's it's dated for sure. You watch it through the lenses of twenty twenty three, and you're like, oh, there's some stuff in the show that won't fly today. Yeah, but it's yeah. kind of like it's like even Chappelle show. You go back and watch Chappelle show with some of the stuff that they were doing. It's like, fuck your couch. That was pretty funny. Or the racial draft. Okay. Oh, the racial... I'm that sorry, was... the racial draft is peak comedy. Dude, that was so funny, though. For two reasons. One, I mean, Bill Burr is in that show, and I yeah. I always... I never realized that, that he was in it, because he, he was like a full-headed ginger. Chappelle's Tiger Woods is actually really good. Well, it's like, the the thing I appreciate about, appreciate about the racial draft is just like, it is like a multi-layered comedy like tiger wood gets taken by team african-americans oh there goes his sponsorships yeah <laughs> Ooh, tough Ooh. luck tiger tough break man 
I know. And then the Asian delegation takes the whole Wu Tang clan. clan. That made me laugh. I'm not gonna lie. The one that always gets me is uh, the Lat- Latinos take Enrico and Gales before what people take him for themselves. Oh, Elio Gonzalez. Yeah. That exactly. Show, you need a lot of context for though. If you don't understand the context, like I didn't 20 years ago, then you watch that, you're like, okay. But then it's like, well, even if, like at the time though, like think of like you had Shakira, J Lo, all of these like beloved Puerto Rican or other uh, Hispanic American or her yep. fully Hispanic artists just became American. Or Enrique, Ricky Martin and Enrique Iglesias. Enrique Iglesias, even Daddy Yankee to a degree. But no, like that joke is that's still funny 20 years later. Pretty good. I, I, I know that the last episodes where Chappelle really went off the deep end and ended his relationship with the show. I watch that now. I get where where he had a real problem with it because I think in 2023, even if you look at it now, you know, like, yeah, because it's just, it's reinforcing stereotypes. It's not really making fun of it. Yeah. And, like, that's the, the weird thing about, like, his more recent comedy specials is, like, sometimes he's, sometimes he's reinforcing, sometimes he's making fun of it. It's, like, he's definitely not at the same level as he was at, like, his peak. That's for sure. He's less angry in his early specials. If you watch it now, if you watch his specials now, the one thing I really notice is that I don't want to say bitterness, but there's a definitely like an anger to him. Especially the later specials. Yeah, like Sticks and Stones, which I totally understand. And I get where people have the criticisms of some of the jokes he made about the transgender community and LGBT. For me personally, like I wasn't, this is the way I look at it. I totally understand where people would be offended by it. But to me, I find that there's only one kind of offensive joke in the world, and that's one that's not funny. Yeah. If he could have made that funny, people could, you could have actually looked at it in a way like, okay, well, I never saw it from this point of view. Mm -hmm. In the way that I feel like even if you look at, Bill Burr is a great example of that. Bill Burr will make jokes, and you really think about it. You're like, well, yeah, that's not a bad way to... Look at it. you may not agree with it, but it's an interesting way to how to look at things. Yeah, and like I remember some of the earlier specials, like the stuff was definitely offensive. Like he's t- like the one of the whole specials is framed about all the times he met OJ, or like how like he slowly was like yeah like the whole like he slowly went from like thinking oj was innocent to holy shit oj did it through every different time he met oj like that's offensive but it's really funny you know it's funny even when he was making the joke about kobe back in the day after like the rape trial and everything he goes man i'm great that kobe went out in bail because i tell you if he went out there and he was scoring like six points a game the whole la would have been like that n-word is guilty Oh, for sure. Well, I remember the. Did you ever watch the Boondocks? I no, actually, I shouldn't. I shouldn't shake my head at that. I have watched maybe a couple of episodes of it. So they did a whole. They did their an episode where it was just the R. Kelly trial, and like they riff on that same idea. It's like, okay, so why did you let him piss? Did he piss on you? Yeah. Why did you let him? Because he good. And it's like, 
unfortunately that dynamic exists you know yeah actually i think that episode came out in like 2005 and they were making bill cosby rape jokes in that episode oof i mean everybody knew what was happening <laughs> well i mean he he is out because of a fifth amendment violation and we do have to respect that but yeah no they were making jokes about that like years before the conviction came down yeah that's true that's true but even go back to Chappelle I mean I'm just I don't know I didn't find the comedy specials that funny to be honest with you to me I just feel like the jokes didn't land that's that's, that's where I found where I'm like eh actually I can't even think of I didn't even watch the later specials to be honest same sort of stuff okay sorry going back to Bill Burr for a second so remember how I was talking about, I think it was on last episode, we were talking about the Conan O'Brien podcast, Conan O'Brien needs a friend. Yeah. So he was telling that <clears throat> he was telling a story about how comedians will, they'll find the humor in something that's really mean spirited and the, how they react in the way that actors don't. So yeah. he's telling the story and I'm not, I got to tell you the whole story here. It's so funny because it ca- totally caught me off guard when he first said it. He was talking about him and his wife were on an airplane flying somewhere. And it was like a long flight, so they had an iPad. So Bill's watching a movie on her iPad, and he is like laughing so hard. He's to the point where like he, you know, when somebody laughs so so hard to the point where you start laughing. Yeah. So she her his wife wakes up and she's going, What's so funny? And he's trying to hide the iPad and she looks at it and he's watching Precious. What? And Conan and like her, his his partner's like, oh my god! And he's like, you know, I don't know what it is. She, her, the mother just said something so fucking mean, and the look on her face just made me laugh so hard. And my wife punches me in the arm. Like I'm not gonna lie to you, Conan. I was literally wheezing. I was laying in the aisle. What the hell? It was oh, and that so totally took me by surprise. I was like, <laughs> uh, that's probably is probably one of my favorite Conan O'Brien episodes that he did with Bill Burr. I, I would still listen to that like at least once a week, maybe. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just for people who haven't seen Precious. I'm just gonna read the IMDb blurb of the movie. In New York City's Harlem circa 1987, an overweight, abused, illiterate teen who is pregnant with her second child is invited to roll in an alternative school in hopes that she can reroute her life in a better direction. And Bill Burr is dying laughing watching this. <laughs> Just because, again, he's a comedian. He says, yeah. you know... You know, when you hear something that's so fucking mean that it goes away from being mean into being funny. I mean, unfortunately, I do have that sense of humor. <laughs> but it's like, I, I try to suppress it. I do. Oh, <laughs> that just, that caught me so off guard. Like, it was, oh my god. Oh, oh boy, that was a good one. I, you know what? Watch as I go back and listen to the episode tonight too. And you're well. You're gonna be listening to the episode, and you're gonna be like, "I cannot." Po-. You're gonna go back and cut like half of this. Well, I don't think I said anything Actually, no. really like offensive. <laughs> no, but it's just gonna be like, 
We said what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel after nuts in, in, um silicone, silicone nut sack injections, I don't know if much is off limits at that point. Unless we say something that's really racist or sexist. That shit all cut. I I kind of want to just give an example of just like I, but I don't have like an HP Lovecraft book to really pull out and just really go to go ham on. I guess I could do a Scott Adams impression. Oh God, we're not touching that. We are not going to touch that, Tim. But yes, we Dilbert got it. He got Dilbert's ass canceled. <laughs> yeah, I'm Dumb not going to touch that. I am not going to yeah. touch it. What's but what I am going to touch though, Tim, is this segue into this little segment I like to call. Top of the hour. Nice. Yeah, let's talk about hockey on the hockey podcast. I was going to say, I wonder how many comments we're going to get just based on that last maybe 10, 15 minutes that we were just talking about. Yeah. Was it good? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the most surprising comment we ever got was one that one person commented about how Pulling a goalie with 10 minutes left to go is actually a good idea. Yeah, but that actually had something to do with the hockey. I know, but that surprised me because that was like buried in the middle of the episode. Yeah, I guess. Yep. So let's start off talking about some hockey news, Tim. The Chicago Blackhawks have announced that Jonathan Taze is taking a step back from hockey while still dealing with the symptoms of long COVID and chronic chronic immune response syndrome. Taze has not played since January 28th and previously missed an entire season dealing with the symptoms. You have to wonder, like, is he coming back at this point? Because God knows, like, uh, chronic immune plus long COVID or uh, post-viral syndromes can be, that can take a long time to work work out. And I'm guessing he's, like, when, when did he actually go into COVID protocol? I don't recall. Uh, good question. Last season, maybe. Yeah, I think so. he. I don't think he played all last year at all. Yeah. So like, yeah, that. If I like, I'm glad that he's taking time for his health. But uh, if I was him, I'd like. Well, I guess he probably also has some of the best doctors available to him. So hopefully, uh, hopefully it turns around. But who knows. Like, that's just kind of scary to hear. It is, Tim. It is. Florida Panthers goaltender Spencer Knight has entered the NHL, NHLPA player assistance program. It's always rough when you hear about these sorts of things happening, and it's always a bit doubly sad when it's a young, promising player. And uh, at least he kind of knows that there there is help and he can get help. So uh, hopefully that works out for him. You know, as much as I want to joke about how this is all because he got sensed last season, that would be pretty heartless to me. But you yeah. know what? For a young goaltender and a young player like this, it is great to see that at least he's recognizing and he's understanding that, hey, I've got a problem. I need to work through this. And he's not the first player this season have gone through it. Remember, Jacob Verana went through it. And we've had a couple of guys over the years that have gone through this. So it's really great to see that the NHL, NHLPA player assistant program is really helping these players. Mm-hmm. Or at least it's seen as a reliable option. Yeah, well, especially in the last several years where you see 
just some of the negative stories that come out about that, you know, with Joe Murphy being homeless and Paul Korea having his issues with that and former players and stuff like that. So it is great to see that at least the current players are trying to recognize that they're out to help me. They're not here to go against me. So we're going to give a couple of congratulations, Tim. Edmonton Oilers captain Connor McDavid became the fifth fastest player in NHL history to record 800 points. McDavid had recorded 44 goals, 61 assists for 105 points in 58 games for Edmonton at the time of the story. Honestly, love to see it. And uh, like Connor McDavid is definitely one of the reasons why we are living in probably some of the best hockey times we've had in the last 20 30 maybe even 40 years yeah i would say definitely the last 15 for sure 15 for sure i think think for this generation it really started when grimes and ovechkin showed up yeah so like like right after that lockout yeah because admittedly the nhl was pre-lockout the nhl was kind of boring like going back and watching some of those games it really was. I mean, it was a lot of hook and holding in the dead puck era. But, you know, when you really look at Ovechkin and Crosby coming over, you do got to realize one thing. The NHL needed them. needed them. They did not need the NHL. Especially with Crosby. I mean, say what you will about the guy, but he's got to be the one guy the NHL has marketed perfectly. Why? Because they had to do this correct. Well, I remember, like, I even remember, like, right at the beginning, like, even within his first season, he was all over Tim Horton's ads. You had the 87 branded gear, then into the hockey cards, all over the NHL's advertising. Has he been a cover athlete for an NHL game, though? He hasn't. That really surprised me, actually, when I found that out, because... Jonathan Taves has been on the cover. Patrick Kane's been on the cover. Ovechkin's been on twice. Yeah. You think of some of the players that have been on the cover, but you think Sidney Crosby's not been on the cover. Even with the 2K games, he was never on any of those covers. No, he really should be. And, like, the dude has three Stanley Cups. I mean, just look at his resume. Yeah. Like, actually, how? In the year that, like, so they won it in 09. Why was Taves on the cover that uh, for NHL 10? Sorry, no. Or was it Kane? Like, it was a Blackhawk. It was Kane. Yeah, why was Kane uh, on the no. cover that year? Ten. No, Kane was on the cover for 10. And Taves was 11. Taves was 11. And then I think 16... Was 16 the year that they put Matthews on it for some damn reason? No, I think 16. I think they had both Kane and Taves. Right. No, it was 22. They had Matthews. Right. But, uh, yeah, no, like, yeah, the guy should be on the box. <laughs> Come on. I, I guess even EA doesn't give a shit. Yeah. Yeah, but still, you would think, though, the one guy who's been marketed perfectly by the NHL is not on the cover. Yeah, like Ovechkin's been marketed pretty well by the NHL as well. Um, I guess the NHL is really trying to push Kane and Taves as well, so that's probably why they've gotten preferential treatment there. Uh, they do; they're definitely trying to push Austin Matthews. 
Although Connor McDavid is pushing himself. Yep. But I don't think he markets himself as well as Crosby ever did. No, it's a well, it's a totally different time, right? Because social media wasn't a thing in 2005. Well, I, I shouldn't say that. actually MySpace was a thing, but to what we see now, where you That's have true. the Instagram, the Twitter, Snapchat, whatever you want to throw out there, it's not a thing. But players are doing a great job promoting themselves. They don't really need the NHL anymore. That's true. But I guess I've never seen uh, Connor Mc. Actually, Tim's Tim Hortons really hasn't done a hockey player ad in a while, have they? No, they had Crosby and McKinnon. Right, but that was like three or four years ago, isn't it? Yeah. Like, that just doesn't really seem to be in their, their marketing repertoire as much anymore. So maybe that's also part of it? Maybe. But then again, I also just really haven't seen many Tim Hortons ads. Yeah. And they're pretty, meh, so yeah. So we're gonna give a couple of congratulations to some Buffalo Sabers. Tim Buffalo Sabers for Jeff Skinner recorded his 600th career goal during the team's game versus the Florida Panthers. Skinner drafted seventh overall by Carolina in 2010, have recorded 24 goals, 34 assists for 58 points in 54 games for Buffalo at the time of the story. You know, as much. Nice... As... Sorry, go go go. No, I was going to say, it's really nice to see that Jeff Skinner has at least found his game again, because like when he signed that contract, you and I were just like, they gave him what? And at the time, I was like, you know what? Jeff Skinner is a good player. He can finish. I like him. I don't mind him giving the money if he can produce. And then where'd that go, right? Well, some of that was like, it is amazing. Just how much... Skinner has turned around in the absence of Ralph Krueger. That man is a hockey terrorist. That's not even just Skinner. Just look at the roster where they have right now, where Dylan Cousins is coming out of the shell. Hayes Thompson absolutely came out of nowhere. Middle stat looks like he's finally doing something. Yep. Rasmus Dolan. Yeah, we're seeing the promise of Dolan. So it's like, yeah. Ralph Krueger just that man cannot be anywhere near an NHL roster no like didn't they hire him twice I think so but yeah like hockey terrorism oh my god man oh my god so we gotta give another congratulations to a Buffalo Sabre Tim now this happened in the same game and it's a former Ottawa Senator goaltender Tim Buffalo Sabres goaltender Craig Anderson became the oldest goaltender in NHL history at 41 years, 279 days, to record a 50-save regular season game. What? Honestly, is Craig Anderson better than Cam Talbot? Hmm, yes. Yeah, like... Question mark? Yes, question mark, because, like, dude is 41. Like, that is insanity. What else is there to say about Craig Anderson? Uh, we like him. Yes. Uh, I mean, yes, but he is playing at above average for a goal. Like, I don't want to say he's one of the better, but he's playing good. He is a good, strong goaltender this year at age 41, which oh, is 
like I'd say Forsberg, like current age Forsberg is better than current age Anderson, but current age for current age Anderson is still saving about 1% more shots than you would expect. And he's giving, he's helping get Buffalo a real chance here. You know, if I'm being honest, when talking about Kirk Anderson, because you were just like, what do we say about him? I bet you anything that he can barbecue a good piece of fish. Yeah, he does kind of give that hometown cooking vibe, doesn't he? He does, yeah. I, I don't see him grilling a steak. He definitely sees like a fish. <laughs> hmm. Maybe that or like a good rotisserie chicken. Ooh, yeah. I, I could see that. I could see that. Yeah. Maybe we should just, pr- maybe we should try and sell that show to the Food Network. Greg Anderson, cooking <laughs> show. No joke. Pascal LeClaire is a bit of a food buff and apparently a very good cook. Really? Yeah, so uh, one of my colleagues apparently hang- sometimes hangs out with Pascal LeClaire. They do cookouts. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Hold up. Time out. Time out. Are you trying to tell me, Tim, that a colleague of yours hangs out with an ex-Ottawa senator and you haven't tried to get him on the show? We've talked about this off air before. Way to break kayfabe. <laughs> but so, yeah. We got a couple of trades we're going to talk about, Tim. Washington Capitals have traded forward Garnet Hathaway and defenseman Dimitri Olaf to the Boston Bruins in exchange for a 2023 first, a 2024 third, and a 2023 second at forward Craig Smith. It was later revealed that Minnesota also acquired Olaf for forward Andre Sl- Savetikov? I don't know. And then flipped him to Boston for a 2023 fifth round pick. Ah, uh, yes. The Bank of Minnesota. I mean, I love, like, there's these cap star teams. And Minnesota, just by the way that their cap is structured, they can't, they don't, they have very little cap wiggle room at the beginning of a season and during the offseason. But just by the way that the cap works, they have, like, an absurd amount of open cap just because they weren't using LRTR, they weren't using certain other things. And then I think I think like the buyout, there's something about buyouts as well, like in the way the CBA works. So they actually have a shitload of cap space to just absorb contracts. And yeah, they're getting picks for it. It's very funny. So it's like but, the Arizona move. Yeah. But one thing I do like about this trade is one. I did not know that Washington was going to blow her up. Yeah, because they, we, well, they talked about it at the beginning of the season. And I think Ovechkin was like, look, I don't want to be here if you guys are just going to be rebuilding. Yeah. And then two, how did Boston's defense core get even better? Well, I'll tell you one thing, Tim, at least with this trade, it wasn't like the trade that happened a few days ago, which was what you had. Whoever was going to Tampa picks. Bay, and it was like first, third, fourth. No, fifth. this is even funnier. Take first, second, third, fourth, fifth. It is the first trade that they can find in Central Database that includes a first, a second, a third, a fourth, and a fifth. How do you trade your whole draft? Like, are, is Tampa just going to lay off their amateur scouts? Is this to the point where you go, just home, like, boys? How many picks should we give them? Yes. I mean, admittedly, Tampa's picks, assuming they beat Toronto in the first round, aren't going to be any good. Yeah. 
But I, Tyler Janot seems like, I don't know how good he is. Some people's models like him, some don't. But five. Five? Mm. Including at first and a sec. Like, sure, the late second, you're getting iffy. A late third is 50-50 or probably closer to 35% or less of hit, even hitting a player. The fourth and the fifth are just nothing. Actually, even like a, even a late first is 50-50. So like, yeah, sure, at the end of the day, they're not worth that much, but they hold intrinsic value. And you gave away five of them? <laughs> but no, going back to Orlov, I wish, like, too bad the Sens didn't know he was available. Because he would have been a perfect fit for Ottawa. Yeah. Speaking of the Senators, you know how I usually leave the Sens news for last? The Ottawa Senators made a trade this week. Oh. Are you ready for this? It's the news that we have been waiting a very long time to hear. The Ottawa Senators have traded defensemen Nikita Zaitsev, a 2023 third and a 2026 fourth round pick to the Chicago Blackhawks in exchange for future considerations. Zaitsev have recorded five assists in 28 games for Ottawa. That is a very reasonable price to get out of two year, the last two years of Nikita Zaitsev's contract at full value. That also means that if Ottawa wins both of the games against Detroit, there is room and reason for them to pick someone up at the deadline. Or we fit in it. a better defenseman. We but we did it, yeah. We we did it. Actually, it was so funny. The day after that trade happened on TSN 1200, they asked Mark Mathot his thoughts about the trade. He's like, guys, I knew this from day one. I didn't say anything about it because I didn't want to stomp on the team or anything, but I knew this was going to happen. The guy's just not good. Wow, Mark, tell us how you really feel. Yeah. Like he was talking about like how like the guy just makes too many, like the athleticism is there, but like the brain and like the soft skills just really weren't. And like, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Like I see that. You know, let's talk about Zaitsev here for a second, because I know we've always complained and bitched about Zaitsev here on the show, but overall, when you look back on his tenure as a senator, I'm very curious to see, like, what do you really make of his tenure here? Because honestly, I remember when we made that deal, it was, we were ridding ourselves of CeCe and, and getting Harper, Zaitsev. Yeah, like, it was a, a short-term problem for a long-term problem, but, like, the thing about it is, one, Cody CC was awful with the Leafs. Four games. That's all it took for them to be like, uh, uh. But admittedly, Cody CC has kind of found his stride in Edmonton, which is wonderful for him. But on the other hand, Ottawa was trying to tank. So, like, eating that salary and just taking this player who's just an offensive black hole. Admittedly, he was a bit better this season than previous, but still, yeah. And, like, for whatever reason, he he was actually kind of effective during that COVID season. It was weird. But, 
yeah, like over his tenure, Nikita Zaitsev was bad. You know, and all this just because we decided not to let CC walk. But we did get Connor Brown. That is true. I think that's the only consolation out of that is we got Connor Brown. But let me be perfectly honest here. When talking about Zaitsev, who would you have rather had? Him or CC? Honestly, at that point in their respective careers, they were both like they were both quite poor players. Um I think probably CC by a hair. Just because CC had the better contract, you could have signed him to a one and done, flip him at yeah. the deadline or whatever. But I don't mind that. Tra- I still don't mind the trade. It's a shame that uh, Connor Brown decided that he wanted to try free agency. Because imagine if we had Connor Brown still this year. Yeah, that would have been nice. But yeah, it's funny. Just he does not seem to be missed. But he was hardly. He played 28 games for the Sens this season, and they were uh, pretty ho hum. Oh, like the hard thing about Zeitz is like the guy does have a nice shot. Like that's the frustrating thing about it. He just never gets himself in a place to use it because he's always stuck in his own end. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I was just taking a break. I was just taking a moment here to look at the Sens game. How the hell are we winning 6-2? Detroit sucks. That's fair, Tim. That's fair. Actually, no, I'm being mean. Detroit is a good team this year. But uh, Magnus Helberg uh, has not played a good game. Detroit's defense has fallen apart. And Ottawa's actually played a pretty disciplined game in front of Camp Talbot, despite Camp Talbot being a sieve early on. Because two goals on 10 shots was looking like it was going to be a... Yeah. The Nashville Predators have traded for Nino Niederreiter to the Winnipeg Jets for a 2024 second-round pick. Niederreiter had recorded 18 goals, 10 assists for 28 points in 56 games for Nashville at the time of the story. I love this trade for Nashville. Like, Niederreiter is just one of those high-flying offensive players who's a little bit defense-be-damned, but he could set up he could set up and score very, very effectively. Mm-hmm. And for a second, for a rental, this is a great pickup for Winnipeg, a team that just needed a bit more offense to supplement a team that's just been playing very, very well under first-year coach Rick Bonus. Yeah, can't fault him. I thought it was a good trade for both sides. Go. Yep, Nashville got probably it, the most they were going to get. And Winnipeg gets a player. Yeah. So, Timmy, remember if you remember, I don't know how many years ago now when the Sens made that trade for Matt Duchesne and we sent a bunch of players to Colorado? Yeah. What of those players got traded this week? Colorado Avalanche have traded forward Shane Bowers to the Boston Bruins in exchange for goaltender Keith Kincaid. Bowers recorded four goals, 10 assists for 14 points in 37 games for the AHL's Colorado Eagles. Well, Kincaid recorded one win with a 968 percentage for Boston this season. Yeah, he's going straight to Providence. And this is one of those funny players where I wonder if this just counts as a miss by Pierre Dorian, but he got rid of him so fast it doesn't even count. 
the guy literally never played a game in the Ottawa system. Yeah, it's true, man. There's not really much you can say. I just wanted to include that because we did train Sam Bowers. So, yeah. The New York Rangers have traded Vitaly Kravchuk to the Vancouver Canucks in exchange for Ford William Lockwood in a 2026 seventh round pick. Kratsov recorded three goals, three assists for six points in 28 games for the Rangers, while Lockwood recorded one assist for 13 games for Vancouver. This is an interesting trade as it's a bit of a reclamation project for for Vancouver. Because Vitaly Kravtsov is a guy, like people in New York say, like he's got the skill, he just doesn't seem to know how to put it all together. Mm -hmm. And... Vancouver is a team where he's going to have space to put it together. Whether they go on the full rebuild or the half rebuild. Come on, it's Vancouver. They're not going to do a rebuild. Yeah, that's true. That's... Right. That word's not in Aquilini's dictionary, but. Exactly. Do you remember how earlier, Tim, I mentioned about the Arizona Coyotes? You know, like you're talking about Minnesota, they were acquiring all these con- dead contracts for draft picks. Yep. Well, Montreal, well, Arizona Coyotes legend Shea Weber was on the move. He's now a Vegas Golden Knight for a 2023 fifth round pick. No, sorry. Yeah, Shea Weber to Vegas for a 2025. Yeah, yeah, that's why I was right. Yeah. yeah, so it's uh, this is just this is just cap science movement, and it's just a weird, it's the weirdest thing. Every time when you see just, oh, here's this legendary player, like, sends legend Marion Gabrick. So it's just, yeah, it is what it is. Sorry, it was uh, Shea Weber to Arizona. Yeah, Shea Weber to Arizona. Who also from Victoria, BC. So there you go. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, I don't have much more to say about this. Yeah, there's nothing to say about it, Tim. But I'll tell you. We have a fine and a suspension. Now, you know how when I talk about the suspensions, Tim, I always like mentioning the fact that the money ends in cents. Yeah, the maximum fine is a clean number this year. It's we have it. Boston Bruins forward Brad Marchant was fined $5,000, the maximum allowable under the CBA, for a dangerous trip on Seattle Kraken forward Oliver Bjorkstrand. Yeah. Yeah. I did give him that. Not much to say about that one, Tim. The next one, holy moly. Tampa Bay Lightning defenseman Eric Cernak was suspended two games for elbowing Buffalo Sabres forward Kyle Ocaposo. Cernak also forfeited, are you ready for this, Tim? Yeah. $31,891 and 90 cents. There we go. That's good. This... This is the right call. And I'm surprised it's not more, given that Cernak is a repeat offender getting a suspension for pretty much the exact same play. Mm-hmm. Like, that was a nasty elbow to the face. Oh my god, was it ever? Like, this... That is... it. There's nothing... There's no way you can call that no intent. Because why else are you throwing, like... Why else are you turning around, looking the guy in the eye, and then doing that? Like... Yeah, that should be more. Well, Tim, that wraps up top of the air for this week, which can mean only one thing. Saturday talking about some games. Now we got four games on the schedule. We've got the Blues versus the Senators, Sens versus the Bruins, Sens versus the Hurricanes, and the Sens versus the Canadians. But before we do that, 
let's hit the music. Nice. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Blues versus the Senators. This is a 7-2 to two Senators victory. Blues goals are scored by Colton Paranko, Chelsea's old schoolmate <laughs> in St. Albert, and Tyler Pitlick. Sets goals scored by Tim Stutzel with two, Shane Pinto, Alex Brinkett, Brady Chuck, Drake Batherson, and Ridley Grigg for his first NHL goal. Shots for 32. Sorry. Shots for 34. 32. For the Senators. I'm just going to add it right here and there, Tim. Yeah. St. Louis is not a good team. And uh, they definitely made the right chance to blow that sucker up. Yep. You know, I'm looking at my notes here, Tim. I think we should talk about really great here. First NHL goal and three shots. Boy, that 2020 first round looks great for us, Resident. Yeah, well, yeah, we've got two legitimate star players and someone who looks like he can play up the lineup. Like, when people were saying that the 2020 draft was probably one of the most important drafts in Ottawa Senators history thus far, mm-hmm. they weren't kidding. And it looks like Ottawa has succeeded. And it looks like we're, we will get fruit from that second round as well. I mean, God, I'm just looking at this first round. Stutzler went third. Went third, fuck's sakes. Stutzler went third. Sanderson went fifth. And Ridley Gregg was in the 20s. Yeah. Like that was like that 2020 draft is it has been a very strong draft despite the injury issues that have come to Quinton Byfield and Alexis Lafreniere disappointing. Like Luke, yeah, Lucas Raymond has been phenomenal as well. Yep. Jamie Drysdale's been playing well. He he'd probably be getting more respect if he wasn't in Anaheim. Holtz has started it looks like he's going to start his career soon in New Jersey, Marco Rossi. But then you get like Anton Lundell in Florida, Seth Jarvis in Carolina, Dawson Mercer in New Jersey has been playing well. So good, Tim. So, so good. good. So let's like, talk about Tim. It's good, Tim. And then Roby, we have Roby Yarvente, Tyler Klevin, and Igor Sokolov from the second round that still have a chance to pan out. So let's talk about Tim Stutzel here, Tim. Two goals, one assist for three points on four shots. I mean, just another great game where he just took over like nothing. And this is his breakout season, like 120%. Like every game, it looks like he's getting a little better. And he was already great to start with. Like Tim Stutzel, I think, is undeniably the best player from that draft. Oh, easy, easy, and that's a big compliment. No matter what Leaf writers for the stu- for the Athletic want to tell us, because like, let's look his stat line for the season: fifty-five games played, twenty-seven goals, thirty-three assists, sixty points. Stutzla is now over a point per game. Forty goals is not out of the question. No, no. Same with Brady. Brady's on pace to score forty as well. Yeah, like. The Ottawa Senators have been fantastic this year and will continue to be fantastic. And Tim's like that game against St. Louis, he wasn't even playing his best hockey. 
No. No, but he looked pretty good. He did. Now, another guy who looked pretty good in this one, Drake Batherson. One goal, one assist for two points on four shots. I do want to comment, this was his 200th NHL game. Yeah. No, and it's uh, good to see that uh, that goal drought seems to be over for Drake. Because yep. that was definitely wearing on him for a bit. It was. And I always got to mention, he's our favorite Maritimer who's actually from Indiana. So <laughs> Such a weird thing. <laughs> you know? It really is. It really is, man. Do we want to head off into the second game of the evening, Tim? Yeah, sure. The only thing I do want to mention is it's unfortunate that Sogard's shutout vid got ruined late in the third there with two quick kind of okay goals. Yeah. Unfortunately, it, it happens, right? So yeah. can't complain. Sens versus Bruins. This is a three to one Bruins victory. Claude Giroux got the lone Sens goal. Bruins goes record by David Pasternak with two and Jake DeBrusque. Shots for 32-31 for Boston. Now, despite getting the L, honestly, from what I saw, Ottawa looked pretty good in this game. Yeah, the weird thing is, is like, Ottawa definitely, like, don't get me wrong, the Bruins were the stronger team. Ottawa, but Ottawa was able to keep with them for a good chunk of the game, but you could definitely see the skill gap open up at the end of the game, but still. It was a tightly played game. Uh, according to Micah's, mo- Micah's model, Boston had uh, two expected goals. Ottawa, sorry, three expected goals. Ottawa had one and a half. So it's still a pretty tight game, all things considered. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I would have liked Ottawa to play a bit better, especially after kind of a dormant second. But I think they could hang their hats on a good performance. It was an unf- a bit of, like, Mandelize, despite getting the loss, I actually thought he played pretty well. Yeah, I actually thought he looked pretty sound against that powerhouse Bruins with 20 saves and a .906 save percentage. It was also the last game of Nikita Zaitsev. And that Zaitsev-Larsen pairing, uh, pairing not good. Yeah, well, you know what's funny, Tim, is that this isn't the only game where an ex-Ottawa Senator played his final game with his current team. <laughs> Yeah, oh, no. was this our last mock game? No, this I think this was our first Julian Gauthier game. Yes, it was. You know, I definitely, definitely want to mention uh, Julian Gauthier in the fourth Sorry, game. Sorry, Gauthier, Gauthier. Gauthier. My, my bad. Yeah. Like in the Habs game for sure. Oh, definitely. Oh, he he's looked pretty good. Like he's actually looked noticeable too. Yeah. So I can't complain, Tim. I can't complain. Sens versus Hurricanes. This is a 4 to nothing Hurricanes shutout victory. Hurricanes are scored by Brent Burns, Seth Jarvis, Martin Nikas, and Brady Shea. Shots were 32-30 for Ottawa. This was definitely a must-win, and Ottawa came out flat. It was amazing wow. just how much of a... But not only did they look yeah. flat, you looked how different... Carolina looks against them. They were just like... This is such a weird game, though. Like, Ottawa comes out flat. But it also, like... Cam Talbot needed to be better. Yeah. Uh, And then, what's weird is about around, like, the 17-minute mark after a a pretty good kill by the Ottawa Senators, Ottawa just comes alive. And they run hot for the rest of the game. But they just cannot buy a goal. They get 
a ton of great chances. Debrinket gets robbed. Debrinket has three posts. Brady gets two more posts. Shabbat and Drew each ring one off the post. Like, if some of those bounced post in instead of post out, it would have been a completely different game where Ottawa steals a point. Like, that's what's so frustrating about the Carolina game. Yeah, I mean, that's really the only note I had, but it was like, down Talbert, just, he didn't look good. No, because like, the weird thing is, is Ottawa's top lines won their matchups. Like, the Shabbat-Hamannick pairing beat the Slavin-Burns and the the Brady-Shea-Pesky lineup. Stutzla, Giroux, and Kachuk outmatched Martinuk, Stall, and Fast. And uh, whenever they got out against the Svechnikov line, they played well. It was just, unfortunately, the second, the Batherson-Pinto-Debrinkat line just wasn't on. And uh, the first line couldn't buy a goal. So it just made for a very frustrating game. And uh, it was definitely a night to avoid since Twitter for a game that was a lot closer than it looked on the scoreboard. So, Tim... Would you like to head off into the fourth and final game of the evening? Yeah, let's do her. Senators of Canadians. This is a five to two Senators victory. Sens coach scored by Derek Brizard, Shane Pinto, Austin Watson, Drake Batherson, and Julian Gucci. Canadians goals scored by Mike Matheson and Nick Suzuki. Shots were 32-22 for Montreal. So I'm not shocked Ottawa got the W. I will say, though, for myself, I don't know how you feel. I felt it was a really frustrating game to watch, especially in that second period. Yeah. I have never seen the Sens refuse to shoot as much as they have. They had so many opportunities. And then when they did, they couldn't hit the fucking net. But also, the one thing I gotta give Shane Pinto some shit. I'm glad that he definitely redeemed himself later in the game with his goal. But that play... That oh. set up the Suzuki goal. I remember sitting there. He tried to pass to his defenseman. Gets deflected. Montreal just passes it right down the middle. And yeah. Suzuki's like, oh, thank you. And I was like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. I sat there. I'm like, they scored. They just, they just scored. Yeah, that was just frustrating to watch. And Shabbat was handcuffed because of it. And... Unfortunately, Shabbat probably took more flack for that goal than he should have. Mm-hmm. But he got fucked. However, Ottawa comes up, like, Pinto does redeem himself. The game's tied, and then all of us, like, Ottawa just comes out of the third period and reminds Montreal that they are a bad team. Like, Ottawa just comes out three quick goals and just storms to the win. And, again, that's what's so frustrating about this game is that they just let Montreal be in it for a period. But I think, like, Ottawa was definitely the better team. But, yeah. I think this is the first time I've seen the Senators play down to a team. Yeah. I will say, though, it's really nice to see that Ottawa swept Montreal this year. So that's a good that's a good thing. We swept them, swept them last year, too. There you go. We swept them again, Tim. So I do get a couple of players to talk about. First of all, Matt Sogard. 30 saves, a .938 save percentage. So... Let's talk about the goals. So the first goal on Matheson, that was definitely on Sogard. His, he, he should have had yeah, that one. Should have had that one. The Suzuki one, 
again, I can't blame him. He got deep. Oh, he got deep hard, but like that one, a one-on-one at speed is hard. Like on for that pass should have never happened. Actually, you know what really shouldn't have happened, Tim. I'm gonna relate this to the Nick to Nick Holden because he had two assists in this game. Now I thought the first goal he got it. Derek yep. Rizard deflected it. He got it counted. Okay. Yep. Did you happen to see? I th- want to say it was the NHL Network or Tim and Friends or one of those kind of sites they tweeted this out about Derek Brizard. So answer me this. How do you spell Brizard? B-R-A-S-S-A-R-D. No. It's B A it's B-R Peach Emoji R D. I saw that tweet and I'm just like, what the frick is that? And I think they asked Derek about that too. I think they asked. Hey, fucking has Derek Brazard like post game or something about this, if I'm not mistaken. Why would he care? I don't know. That's the thing. It's like, what? What? It's so dumb. I mean, it's Sportsnet for you. Like, just the the lowest lowest common denominator sports reporting. Let's be real. Although I do got a comment, though, because this was the first time in I don't know how long. Ottawa had the CBC split that then they weren't playing Toronto. Yeah, well, we were playing Montreal. True, but how often do we really get the CBC slot? Not that often. We've unless been getting we, it more. Unless we I think, Toronto. Yeah, I think we've been getting it more, though. I'm really glad that we're being bumped up from City TV to actual Sportsnet. Oh, it, who do we usually? Who even does the city TV cast? It's not good. I don't it's know. I can't remember who. But yeah, this is an interesting game as well because, like, Ottawa's secondary scoring showed up, which has been a problem for the Sens all season. Mm-hmm. But we got goals from recently acquired Julian Gauthier, who scored in his hometown. We got goals from Broussard, Pinto, and that Austin Watson goal. Like every so often, Austin Watson reminds you that he was drafted in the first round, and he won a fight. And he won a f- yeah. It let it was right before the Matheson goal, sure, but he won the fight. Julian Gauthier, though, first goal as a senator, he went top shelf. Oh my god, that was so nice. That was just such a nice rush and a really nice pass from Gambro. You know what's funny? As much as like I can't sit here and say that I noticed Tyler Mott throughout his tenure in Ottawa, I've definitely noticed him first through the first two games he's played. Yeah, and it's a good sign to see him at least try to make an impact. I don't I know last week I was like, I'm like, yeah, I don't know what Julian Goche is. Sorry, I'm like, I'm pretty sure Julian Goche is what he was in New York. Mm-hmm. But if he actually has some finishing and actually like figure figures out how to use his body and his speed right, he will be an, he can be an effective fourth fourth or third liner. Could be worse. Could be better. Yeah, that's all you can ask, right? It's just a guy who looks good out there. Yep. So. Tim, I don't have any more comments to make on these games if you want to head out of the close for another episode. 
I don't think I have anything else to say. Uh, yeah, it was just weird to see a game where you only had one goal out of Ottawa's top five and the power play did nothing. Sorry, out of the Ottawa top six and the power play did nothing. That's another thing about this game is all those goals came at five on five, which has been unusual for the 2022-2023 Ottawa Senators where they've been lethal on the power play and just good at five on five. Mm-hmm. Like I know a lot of everyone kind of makes hay about like the Ottawa Senators not scoring a lot on five on five and then just from there extrapolating into them being bad at five on five, where in reality they are fine. They are league at a bit better at average on both offense and defense at five on five, but just cannot buy a goal to save their lives. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play, as well as on Twitter and Instagram at Third Line Plug. I am on both at Great White Gipster and Tim's on Twitter at M901. Honey Badger. So, Tim, even though there's four games being played this week, none of that matters. Oh. You want to know why? But most of the trade deadline's done by now. Because next week's our trade deadline episode, Tim. Yeah, I guess we actually get to talk about the Labo 5 picks trade for real. Yeah, and the Timo Meyer trade. Yep, and the McCabe trade. And whatever Ottawa chooses to do. You know what's funny? One of the guys at work who's actually a Leafs fan, he was like, yeah, yeah, we made the trade for Jake McCabe. And I started laughing. He goes, yeah, those McCabe jerseys are coming back. Like the Twitter joke is, I hope he picks number 24. I hope they let him take number 24. Bosty tweeted that out too. <laughs> yeah. But also a very quick update. Uh, Ottawa defeated Detroit just as we finished rec- finished up recording. Six to two. And according to Micah's model, that basically puts a stake right through uh, Detroit's hopes at making the playoffs. Excellent. Good, good. Sorry, Jake. Lamo. Oh, also, can we mention how Jake Rivard is now back on Twitter? I miss that guy. I mean, I know we have him on Instagram now, but... Yeah. It'll be sad. Until next week, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jansey. Go Sands, guys. Woohoo!